Welcome to the Crux Podcast and Sermon of the Week. For more information about the Crux Ministries and Summit Church, please visit us at summitsanmarcos.com. Tonight, we're starting a series for the next four weeks, and it's going to be called, the name of the series is This is Who He Is. And I really felt that if you, we, it's so good to focus inward and and focus on our identity and things like that, but to be totally honest, if we were just to focus on Jesus, it would change us, right? If we were to focus on the, the amazing, the author of life who's sovereign and in control, then I wouldn't worry about tomorrow. If we were to focus on, on the man who conquered death itself, then we, we're not going to worry about uh, little fears. If we were to focus on Jesus, who literally his, the, his walkway is gold, then I'm not going to worry about my paycheck. Or not. If I focus, when I turn my eyes and I look to Jesus and I focus on who he is, it changes who I am. Because you see, you become like the one that you behold. You become like the one that you worship. So what do you worship? What do you behold? What do you spend your time looking at? You begin to come like that thing. There's a reason why so many uh, kids want to uh, dress up and, and, and their influence. They want to follow, you know, Justin Bieber or, or Justin Timberlake. I remember when I was younger, everyone was trying to dress up like him, you know, like or all these people because they're looking to him. In some ways, they're worshiping these people by saying, oh, I want to be like them. Oh, and it changes who they are. And then they start walking out in these same moralities as these people. But what if we looked at and we behold Jesus? Thank you. That's awesome. How would that change us? How would that change our lives? If we, for a minute, the worship songs weren't just, God, what can you do for me? Fill me up, save me, help me. But it shifted and it changed into, holy are you. Amazing are you. You're beautiful. You're holy. You're wonderful. Because I don't think, I love these worship songs that are prayers and they're like, fill me up, things like that. But when I'm in heaven looking at the throne of Jesus, I'm not going to be saying, Jesus, please help me. (laughs) I'm going to be like, holy, (laughs) falling on my face, right? Holy, right? Like, and and just like, oh my goodness, it's Jesus. Do you see him? And so tonight we're going to start a series. This is who he is. And part one, the title of this message is just Jesus. This is who he is. And so we're going to take, like I said, a broad stroke. So you're going to follow me on this journey tonight as we kind of go through a large portion of the Bible. Uh, Go ahead. If you have your Bibles or your phones, go ahead, turn to Genesis chapter (laughs) 3, verse 15. Just to give you, uh, tonight we're going to read a lot out of the uh, Taylor paraphrase version just for the sake of time. I'm just going to give you some quick paraphrases. This is context. This is what's going on. And then I'll get you with the verse and then we'll move on to the next one. Is that cool? Yeah. You okay with that? But I promise you, I have the verses. If you want to know them, you want to read them word for word, come up to me. I can totally give them to you afterwards. Okay. Um, but basically context is this is the fall. This is what just happened. Adam and Eve, they, they fell in the garden. They chose to turn their backs on God. They chose to betray God. They chose to do the one thing he said not to do. You had one job. He totally blew it, guys. Like, and like oh, man. And they totally threw it all away. And, and the fall of humanity happens. Sin enters the world. Uh, this snake, many of you know the story of Adam and Eve, the snake that deceived them. God looks at the snake immediately and curses the snake. And basically says, you will be cursed to roll around on the dust the rest of your days, right? And then he looks over and he's talking about, he's talking to, about the snake. And he's talking about Adam and Eve. And he says in verse 15, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, meaning one of, the, one of his offspring, will strike your head. And another verse, another way it says that he will crush your skull. That's intense. And you will strike his heel. This is the first prophecy about Jesus in the Bible. Chapter 3. The minute humanity falls, there's a moment God immediately shows up, curses the devil to like lay on the ground pretty much, like lay down. You're in the dust now. And he immediately shows up and he says, I am going to bring a man who will crush your head. And he says, you will strike him, you will hurt his heel. 
but he will crush your skull. This is, this is pretty gnarly, right? What I love about this is this tells me that the minute I fail, I don't need a grievance period like, yes, I want to be sad and I want to be convicted, but I don't need a period where until God comes back to me. I don't need a, a, a time uh, until like, okay, now you're holy again. Now we can talk. I don't need a time where I beat up with myself enough until finally God will want to be with me again. The minute Adam and Eve turn their backs on God, a prophecy about Jesus was released. How do you not know that even in the midst of our failures, even in the midst when we mess up, like there's no excuse, we mess up. How do we not know that God says, I can use that, watch how I turn it into a way that the world will actually see Jesus now come out of it? Because this is who he is. Jesus. The one who takes our failures and he turns it into testimony of glory. So the Bible goes on and Genesis chapter 5 happens. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 says this. It says, when Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was just like him in his very image, his son, Seth. After the birth of Seth, Adam lived another 800 years. Dang! And he had other sons and daughters. Adam lived 930 years, and then he died. When Seth was 105 years old, he became the father of Enosh. And then it goes kind of blah, blah, blah. It goes on. Basically, for many, many hundreds of years, it just says, so-and-so begot so-and-so, who had the son of so-and-so, who had the son of so-and-so. And just like that, we go from a failure and a climactic moment in human history to then all of a sudden, it seems like hundreds of years pass by in the moment of a chapter. I don't know about you, but I have times in my life when I feel like, did a year just go by? And condemnation sometimes comes on me, and it just says, what have you really done for God this year? Did four years of college go by? And like, what have I really done? Have you guys ever had this or am I the only one where I feel like, is God really doing something with this time? Like, like there's times where I'm like, God, I, I've been out of high school almost 10 years. Like, oh gosh. <laughs> oh man, God, what? 10 years? No. <laughs> like, what happened? You know, we had a promise, God. I would never get old. What happened? Like, and, and like what is going on? And, and basically... And it feels like I didn't do anything for Jesus. And I hear these revivalists. It seems like every moment of every day, something radical happens. And I'm like, I don't remember the last time I got somebody saved. Like, dang it. <laughs> you know? And then you hear guys I love, like Todd White, who it's like every 30 minutes, he's like, who are you? And then they know Jesus. And it's like, that's incredible. I want that, God. Why has it been years? What am I doing with my life? Have you ever felt this way? Yeah. Adam and Eve, and this is the part of the Bible, hundreds of years go by and it's like nothing climactic happens. But I want to show you something. Go ahead, uh, show up. Just, just hit, hit it once, John. So this is what yes. we see. This is our perspective, guys. So this, uh, the Bible. If you, if you read through that ch that chapter, Genesis chapter five, it says Adam begot, you know, had a son named Seth, who had a son named Enosh, who had a son named Kenan, Mahalo, who had Jared, who was the father of Enoch, who had another son named Methuselah, who had a guy named Lamech, who had a guy we all know and love named Noah. Noah. Right? Noah's heart. That's like hundreds of years, especially when they're all living like 500 years, right? And so this is our perspective. We look at our life, we're like, nothing happens. And I'll show you, this is God's perspective. So go ahead and uh, hit the next one over. God's perspective. Okay, so stop here. Adam, oh, you can go to man. Adam, when you translate it to English, Adam's a Hebrew name. When you translate it to English, it means man. Seth is a Hebrew name. When you translate it to English, it means, go ahead, is appointed. Enosh is, Enosh is a Hebrew name. When you translate it, it means mortal. Kenan means sorrow. Man is appointed, moral sorrow. Sounds like the fall. Sounds like what happened to us. But when you take Mahalalel, Mahalalel, it means the blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Wow. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah means his death shall bring. Lamech means the despairing. And Noah finally means rest and comfort. Whoa. So go ahead and let's put this together. It's almost like a sentence, like God is trying to tell us something. Go ahead and go to the next, go to the next slide. When we put the names together in Genesis 5, this is what we read. 
Go for it. It says, man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching, and his death shall bring the despairing rest and comfort. How do you not know that the very season where you said nothing matters here is not the very season that heaven looks down and says, it looks like the gospel. How do you not know that the season where you're like, you know what? I didn't do anything. I was David and I just wasn't a shepherd. I'm not doing anything. And God's like, that's where you learned how to kill giants. How do you not know that for 10 years you might work for a company, just one day you step into your huge call of whatever the promise of God is on your life, and he's like, yeah, but unless you did that for 10 years, it would have never, you would have never made it to here. How do you not know that this season of Genesis 5 in your life is preaching the gospel? we got to take a step back and look at our life. This is Jesus. This is a prophecy about Jesus who is going to come. By Genesis 3 and Genesis 5, we say Jesus is on the move. Jesus is coming, and we're only a few chapters in. God, from the very beginning, had a plan about a man who would come down, who is the blessed God, and he will teach, and his death will bring the despair and rest and comfort. This is a big deal, guys. This is who he is. This is Jesus. Woo! Preach. So then what happens is uh, I'm going to have one, or my first point tonight, and it's my favorite point. <laughs> point one, it all points to Jesus from the very beginning. Every detail of your life points to Jesus. Every trial in your life, every fall even in your life, it can point to Jesus. Point one, it all points to Jesus. Okay, so go ahead. Then we know uh, uh, Genesis, uh, the next one, Genesis chapter 6, verse 13. Uh, we're going into the story of Noah. He was the last man down on the bottom of the list. Noah's Ark. I don't know why they tell in kids' church. It's a story about the world dying. It's crazy. It's like, oh, that's really gross. Okay, so but the entire world gets destroyed, right? And Noah, good old faithful Noah, God says, hey, Build me a boat. And Noah Noah builds it for 70 years, brings all the animals inside of it. He's faithful for 70 years. This is what God tells him. Because God, God, in the midst of his perfection, in the midst of it, he is love. And he destroys anything that hinders his love, sin. And so he pours out his wrath, which is actually his love, to wipe out sin. And in doing so, it wipes out everything like in the way of his love coming onto the planet. And it's the flood. And so, but God has a plan. So he says this, he says to Noah, Genesis 6, 13, he says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And so he says this, he says, I'm going to pour out my wrath on the earth and you make this vessel, make this wooden vessel. And I want you to step inside of it, cover it with pitch. And pitch in Hebrew, it's this word, it means like tar. It's like a sticky tar that water doesn't stick to. So you cover the boat in that. You step inside, the rain hits it, gets washed off the side of the boat, goes down, and the family who's underneath the pitch, who's underneath the boat, inside of it, they come out, the world's changed, they step out into a new creation. This is the story of Noah. We've heard this, right? Have you guys heard this story? Okay. So a lot of people don't know this, though. Uh, Go ahead. I think it's the next slide. Go ahead and click it. Uh, no, not this one. Wait, go back. Never mind. I'll explain this one. Maybe it'll come back later. Um, but basically, this word pitch, it means tar, right? There is one other definition for the same word. The, this word, it also means, uh, let me see where to go. Uh, the, this word, okay, so here it goes. It means uh, ransom at the cost of a life. It means tar, and it means a ransom, but the ransom is your life. So God says this, I'm going to pour out my wrath. And if you step underneath this ransom wow. life, the, tar, wow. the wrath will not hit you, and it'll fall everywhere else. Wow. You will be safe, and you'll step out as a new creation. Wow. Once again, oh, there it is right there. So sure. <laughs> yeah. So it means, do you guys see how this points to Jesus? Once again, we're only in chapter 6. 
And God says, if you are willing in the midst of not understanding, if you are willing to be faithful and follow my voice, and you step underneath the ransom life of Jesus, my wrath, my perfection will fall out. It'll hit him instead. You'll be underneath the vessel, the structure of the cross. You will be underneath it, and you will step out as a new creation. It all points to Jesus, even in the flood. How do you not know that this season of your life where you feel like, I'm drowning God, it's a flood, you know? How, how do you not know that if you choose to surrender and step underneath Jesus, it'll preach the gospel? Wow. The story goes on, Genesis. We're only in Genesis 14 now. Uh, there's a guy, Noah goes on. He has kids who go on to have kids. There's this guy named Abram. Has anyone heard of him? Father, yeah. Right. Many sons. Right. Okay, so Abram, God calls him one day and says, I, get up and leave. Take everything you own to a land I have not yet shown you. I will show you. And he's like, okay. And he's wandering for years following just the voice of God. I don't know if you've ever had this. Some of you are in a season of faithfulness like Noah where you're like, I'm building board after board after board for four, five, six, eight years in college. Other of you are like, I'm just wandering. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) That was more my story. I ain't going to college. I just, I'm wandering, right? And so basically there's this man that shows up and his name is Melchizedek. Genesis 14 Verse 18 through 20 says this, Melchizedek was the king of Salem and he brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high and he blessed him, Abram. And he said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a 10th of everything. Everyone's like, okay, that's cool. Random story. Move on, right? He's wandering in the midst of his wandering. He meets this guy and then he moves on. Melchizedek, when you translate it to English, it means my king of righteousness and justice. And Salem, when you translate it to English, means peace. So this man, let's read it again. The king of righteousness and justice who is from the land of peace brings out bread and wine. (laughs) Sounds like the first communion. And he goes and he says, hey, Let's make a covenant, almost like Jesus did when he was with his disciples during communion. And Abraham gives him a tenth of everything he owns. Sounds like the first time. Abraham, and you know what's funny, guys, is it says he's priest of the Most High God. That position wasn't made until Moses made it 500 years later. That position to be a priest of the Most High God started with Aaron and Moses. So somehow, and they made it, they set it up so that no one could be a king and a priest. Jesus is the only one who's both king and priest. Wow. And so Jesus, I believe that this is either a pretty obvious symbol of Jesus, and this is the coolest man who ever lived, or this is straight up Jesus himself, <laughs> right? Shows up as the king of God, as the priest of God, says, I have wine and I have bread. Let's have communion together, Abraham. How do you not know in the midst of your wandering that heaven looks down and says, they're having communion with me. Wow. Look at them. Look how, yeah, they feel like they're wandering, but they're actually listening to me and in covenant with me. It all points. It all points to Jesus. You guys doing okay? Yeah. Is this okay? Is this good? This is a little more theological than I tend to go. I tend to go much more like, deal with your junk. Whereas this is much more like, like this is just breaking down scripture. Okay. So you guys doing all right? Yeah, it's good. Awesome. When you feel like you're wandering, but you're following the voice of God in your life, you may sometimes feel lost. But how do you not know that you're really having communion with Jesus? Uh, Abraham goes on and the promise gets fulfilled. Praise God. He has a child at the age of 100. Okay. And basically, uh, he's like, I have a child, God. Everything's going to be great. I finally, this thing's going to be fulfilled. The promises of God on my life have been fulfilled. I waited a hundred years for this. And then this is what happens. 
Chapter 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah. Offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. That's one of those moments during your Devo time, and you feel like God says something weird, and you're just like, that ain't God. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. You know, you're like, oh, turn on Jesus culture, listen more, drink some more coffee. I'm tired. Okay, sit down. Jesus, what are you saying? He says, do it again. And you're like, what? what? I know, right? <laughs> Kill your only son. What the? They're like, <laughs> what? right and what's wild is isaac's about 30 years old at this point this isn't like kill your baby this is like get your full-grown son and you're a hundred year old man tie him down to an altar and kill him abraham waits about three days and then he takes him onto the mountain called mount moriah isaac was said to be about 30 years old when this happened isaac said to his father my father, and he says, here I am, my son. He says, behold, I see a fire and wood. Where is the lamb? <laughs> you need three things for an offering, God. And I only see two of them, Dad. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went together. Abraham, Abraham, okay, Abraham could not carry up all this stuff. He's a hundred and something years old. He probably gave it to his son who carried his own altar up the mountain. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife. He's like, lay down, son. (laughs) Lay lay down for a second, son. What are you doing, dad? Just lay down for a second, son. (laughs) Right? And he's like, (laughs) right? Just trust me. Right? (laughs) He's like, dad, you're scaring me, dad. Just trust me. Close your eyes. Right? Okay, then Abraham reached out of his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. This is insane. Dad, you've gone crazy. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. You see him like, bah, here I am. <laughs> right? He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do, and do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behold, there was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son yeah talk about scapegoat right that was like man so abraham called the name of that place hey hold on hold on listen to this listen guys so abraham called the name of that place the lord will provide and as it is said on this day this is a prophecy on the mount of the lord it shall be provided on this mountain the lamb of god will be provided not many people know that thousands of years later mount moriah would be renamed jerusalem and on top of that mount moriah there would be a little mound named golgotha and another man would have his only beloved son carry his own altar up the mountain and put it in the ground as a sacrifice. This is fulfilling the promise God gave. He said, on this spot, I will provide a lamb. What is the name for Jesus? The lamb of God. It's revelation. It's not there. <laughs> it will be provided. Point one. It all points to Jesus. How do you not know that the greatest sacrifice in your life? You're like, God, I thought you came this to me. God, I thought, I thought you promised me this. God, I thought you gave this. How do you not know when you willingly say, okay, God, here you go. You're not preaching the gospel. There's a proud father in heaven who looks at every time you've given up a dream to surrender to him. Not like giving up in a bad way, but like, God, I trust you. I give this to you in your time, God, not mine. And he smiles down and he says, that one looks like my son. He looks like Jesus. It all points to Jesus. See, when we focus on that, my sacrifices don't look so hard. Oh, man. So then there's this part in uh, Exodus 6-2. God is talking to Moses, who's a few generations later, a few hundred years later. Uh, they're enslaved. Israel now is now enslaved in Egypt. You know, the prince of Egypt. You've all seen that movie, right? right. So uh, there's this part where God, for the first time in the Bible, he says what his name is. He goes to Moses and he says, I am Yahweh. I 
lot of translations say, I'm the Lord, but the Lord, the word in this moment is Yahweh. This is the first time he ever says, my name is Yahweh. Can you imagine worshiping this God for your entire life, thousands of years, you never knew his name. And now all says, my name is Yahweh. Go ahead and show this. This oh, actually, wait, hold up one second and show it. So, uh, a lot of times, uh, ancient Hebrew is like ancient Egyptian, where you know, in ancient Egyptian, you're like, that looks like a bird and a duck and a cow, and a, and then they just read it like Taylor, and you're like, how did you do that, right? Because <laughs> hieroglyphics, there was a symbol, and it meant it meant literally a cow, but it also had a, a vowel or a consonant tied to it, right? Uh, and so they were able to read it like text, right? But it, all, it had two meanings, right? The natural meaning, it's a cow, but then also the other meaning that it's a it makes a b sound you know ancient hebrew was the same way and so when we look at this name yahweh we uh we know it's the lord but let's break it down real quick wrong one next one to work okay no no go before that no no don't look close your eyes everyone before no, it's like beginning Anyway, maybe I'll just tell you until you can find it. Yeah, go back the other way. It's like way at the beginning. So anyway, guys, for the sake of time, I'll just tell you then, and then he can find it. Um, so the first word, uh, the first letter in, in Yahweh, it's... No, lying to me. One second. There it is. Yahweh in Hebrew, they flipped it backwards. So you read right to left, like a manga. Right. Okay. You read this way, okay? And here, this this right here, it, when you translate it to Hebrew, it looks like this. Okay. When you break that down, this letter here represented a hand. This letter here represented meant to see to behold something. This one here represented a nail, and this one said see and behold. The name of Yahweh. When you break it down, it says behold the hand and behold the nails. Wow. Do you guys get this? When he says, Moses, my name is Yahweh. He says, Moses, look for the hands and look for the nails. Wow. Wow. Uh, Also, by the way, hand, another word for it is the finished work. And so it says, behold the finished work of the hands and behold the nails. Uh, Point one. It all points to Jesus. You guys doing okay? Can I keep going? Yes. Uh, then what happens is then they go into the desert. They go into the wilderness. Israel goes into the wilderness, and it's a bummer. They're going around for 40 years, and God gives them a very specific thing. He says in Numbers 2, 32. It says, uh, it, going in here, he gives them, and he says, I want this tribe to stand over here. I want this tribe to stand over here. And it doesn't really make sense. I don't know if you've ever had God tell you to do something. Yeah. You know, this doesn't make any sense at all. And he's like, go over here, go over here, go over here. And he has them live and march in a certain formation. Okay? And he says this. He says, in summary, the troops of Israel listed by their families totaled 603,000 people. But as the Lord had commanded, the Levites were not included in this registration. So the people of Israel did everything as the Lord had commanded Moses. Each clan and family set up camp and marched under their banner exactly as the Lord instructed them. So every family had a banner. So like Judah had a banner that was a lion. That's why the Lion of Judah, okay? They each had a banner that went with their tribe. And he says, set up the tribes in a certain specific way, okay? This is, if you were to look at this, this is what it looked like from an aerial view. Go ahead and go over again. The next slide. Nope. That's what it looked like from an aerial view. Does anyone see a cross? It's like, see, it's on its side. And what's amazing is it said they always marched this way. They marched with these guys going first. So you would have looked down from the area of you and you would have seen the cross. Wow. You guys okay? Yes. Okay. And what's wild is, check this out, the banners you would have seen on the poles, on the ends here, would have been from the tribe of Dan. There was an eagle, a lion, a man, and an ox. Okay? This is what you see. Okay? You see the banners and you see this. Why is this important? Because in biblical times, the ox represented a servant. It was 
whole plow serving. The lion represented a king. The man was the man. And the eagle represented the divine, higher perspective, God. So they look and they say, whoever's cross this is, this cross moves around and it represents a servant and a king, a God and a man. It all points to Jesus. How do you not know that the very wilderness season of your life, people look down on it and they say, I see the cross. How do you not know the season that you're like, I'm totally lost? Might be the same season where God's like, you're following me. That's the cross. And, and how do you not know that it points towards the king, the servant, the God, the man, Jesus himself? Are we doing okay? Are we still alive? Yeah. yeah. Good. Later on down, remember that. Remember the servant, the ox. Remember those, okay? Okay, going on down though. Uh, later we get to a little guy. I don't know if you've ever heard him about him. His name is David. Anyone hear about this guy? Yeah. David goes and he fights a guy named Goliath. You guys remember this? Yeah. Remember Slingshot? Right? And he kills Goliath, and Goliath falls over. You guys remember the story? Yeah? Okay, so Goliath, here's a summary. David is a 13-year-old boy. He is sent by his father to give help and, like, food and nourishment to his brothers who reject him. They basically like, dude, stop it. Go home. Like, they totally reject him. But he then stands in the gap against the Philistines, uh, and Goliath of Goth. Uh, steps out to fight him. He kills Goliath with a sling, and then, or well, he knocks him down, and then he takes Goliath's own sword, and he cuts his head off. This is a pretty gnarly 13-year-old, by the way. Just who will do that? I don't know. Okay, so, but anyway, a lot of people don't know this. You can go to this slide, the one with David and Goliath. A lot of people don't know this. If you look at this, uh, and I'm going to start speeding up just for the sake of time, because I just want to get you guys out at the right time tonight. Um, But if you can get to the slide, with, there you go. Philistine, if you translate it into English, it means one who rolls around in the dust. Do you guys remember the curse that he gave to the serpent? You will roll around in the dust. Goliath means exiled one and soothsayer. Do you guys remember how Satan got exiled out of heaven? Do you guys remember this? Satan, Lucifer, was the exiled one. Gath means the wine press. Why is this important? Uh, you'll see in a minute. Go ahead and show it. David means beloved. So let me say this again. The beloved one, who's the son, is sent by his father to give help to his brothers who reject him. He then stands in the gap as the beloved son against the one who rolls around in the dust, the exiled one, the soothsayer, at the place of the wine press. By the way, uh, Jesus, if we started the cross, was in Gethsemane which just happened, like where you sweated blood, it was a wine press, just to let you know. At the place of the wine press, and he kills the exiled one with his own sword. How did Jesus defeat death? By dying. Jesus took the sword of the enemy, and he killed him with it. It all points to Jesus. How do you not know that your greatest Goliath in life, the thing, that unforgiveness you can't get over, over that illness, that, that relationship of a mom or dad or hurts you, that, that class, that whatever it is, whatever the Goliath is for you, how do you not know that when you choose to step into it and fight it with God, you're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? So then the story goes on later, later down the road. Uh, there's these guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And basically, they, Israel gets captured and basically becomes slaves again. And these three guys are Hebrew guys. And there's this king who basically tells them, hey, worship me or I will throw you into a fire. They say, nah, dude, we ain't doing that. And so he basically throws them into this fire. You guys heard the story? Yeah. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he stands there and he... And he says this. He says, wait, didn't we throw three men into the fire? He says, I see four. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of a god. The fourth looks like the son of a god. (laughs) Y'all catch that one. (laughs) 
<laughs> How do you not know that when you are in the fire of trial, when Come people on. look at you, they don't see Jesus? You're sitting there, and we're like, I'm on fire! And, and, and the world looks in, and they're like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Who's that? How are they getting through this trial? How are they doing this right now? There's someone else standing with them. This is what it means when it says what what the devil intends for evil in your life. God will turn it into good. The very trial meant to burn you alive is the very thing that actually burns off the chains on you, breaks the binds. And it's the very thing that people look and they say, oh my goodness, who's that man? How do you not know the fires of trial in your life are the very thing that points to Jesus? Even your trials point to Jesus. Point one tonight. It all points to Jesus. This is who he is. Jesus. Every trial in my life points to Jesus. Later on, Daniel, in the same book, the book of Daniel, he says this. He's having a crazy vision or a dream or something. And he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all people and nations and language will serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom, one, that will not be destroyed. Daniel, he's like, I don't understand what I'm seeing. I'm seeing this guy. He looks like the son of a human being, the son of a man. And yet for some reason, God is giving him everything, the keys to everything. All all authority, all dominion, all power is given to this man. Do you know what one of the main nicknames for Jesus was? The son of man. And every time he says it, he's speaking the prophecy. I'm the son of man that stood before the ancient days and was given to me. It, this makes my life and my insecurity seem so small when I look at Jesus and I'm like, every tribe confess your name. Every tongue, everything will bow before you, Jesus. My homework is not that bad today. <laughs> this issue is not that bad. This is who you are. This is who he is. Jesus. Everything will bow to this son of man. And then finally, you guys still doing okay? Can I keep going? Maybe will you give me 10 more minutes? I'll give you 20. All right. Y'all heard it. Blame it. Not me. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> Can I get a 25? Okay. So, uh, 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Let's shoot, let's, let's shoot for 10 minutes. Good news, everybody. We're in the New Testament. Yeah, we did. There's a lot more in here. There's a lot more, but I would be here all night. The New Testament, though, there's this guy named who was born, and his birth has been prophesied about since the beginning. And his name is Yeshua. Yeshua. Yeshua, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to break down his name like we did Yahweh. Remember we did that? Yeshua, it means the Lord is salvation in English. But if you break down the letters once again, Yod means the broken hands. Remember the finished work, the hands? Shin, which is the next uh, letter, it means to cut, to pierce. Vav is the next letter, it means nails. And the last letter's name means see and understand. It means God is salvation, but his name when broken down, it means see and understand the nail cut hands. Jesus' name, when you break it down, means see and understand. These are the nail cut hands. I thought that was good. That's cool. Okay, so anyway, uh, the next part, guys. um, The Gospels. There's four Gospels that preach Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Yes, you know these, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one has a very different way of showing Christ. They have something that they emphasize in them. Matthew's written to the Jews, and it's filled with prophecies that show that Jesus is a king. Mark is written to the Romans, and it's showing taking action. It shows that Jesus, the main thing he stresses is that Jesus is a servant. Luke is to the Greeks who are really logical and he's trying to explain to them that Jesus was a man. John is written to the church and it's mainly focused on showing them that Jesus is God. 
Where have we seen these four things before? Jesus, remember the cross in the wilderness? Jesus, the ox, the servant. Jesus, the lion, the king. Jesus, the man, the man. Jesus, the eagle, the God. It's the same thing again. Once again, we're looking at Jesus. We're like, he's a servant. This is who he is, a servant. This is who he is, a king. This is who he is, a God. This is who he is, a man. I don't get how he can be all four at the same time. It makes a cross. This is crazy crazy right jesus the god servant man king jesus the king man servant god jesus the god servant king man right jesus point one tonight it all points to jesus this is where i'm going to tie it hopefully tie it all together let's see if i can do this okay i feel like a boxer i'm like ready to go okay here we go okay Put me in, coach. Okay, here we go. So, here we go. In the water. Okay, I can see God. Okay, here we go. Okay, the, the crucifixion. This is what happens, guys. Listen up. I'm going to tie this together. After three years of preaching and teaching, do you guys remember the prophecy in Genesis 5? He'd first preach and teach, and his, uh, preach and teach, and then his death would bring despairing rest and comfort. Remember that? After three years of preaching and teaching, he knows there's a second part to this. The time has come for Jesus to crush the skull of the serpent. But first, his heel has to be struck. Remember the first two prophecies in Genesis? Jesus, as foretold by the genealogy we spoke about earlier, he would have to come down teaching. And the second part is going to have to happen now. He's going to have to die. Uh, Jesus would have known the actual word that covered the ark was the ransom of a life. He says, here's the moment when my life is going to be the ransom. Jesus, being Melchizedek, knew that I'm the high priest. I'm the king. I'm the one who goes first into battle. But I'm also the priest. I'm the one who has to offer the offering for the altar to make Salem. Remember, said he's from Salem, to make peace. Jesus who actually now is the same age Isaac was, has to carry up his own altar, his own cross, following and trusting the voice of his father. He says, is there any other way, God? God says, the dad says, father says, no. This is it. And he walks up the same mountain. And I wonder if he's having flashbacks. I remember when this was the other way. I'm, fulfill this, I'm fulfilling the prophecy that I promise I would give a lamb right in the same spot. And he stops on a place called Golgotha. Golgotha, when translated to English, means skull. I'm going to crush the skull of the serpent. How does he crush the skull of the serpent? Like David, Jesus, the beloved son, sent by his father, goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, the wine press. Remember? Goliath of Goth, the, the exiled one who's in the wine press. Jesus goes to the wine press to face the exiled one, to kill death by dying. Kill death with its own weapon. He takes the sword like David. And he stands on behalf of the people. Jesus, just as Nebuchadnezzar threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, and then he looks and he says, I see the Son of God. The very same Roman soldiers who nailed Jesus to the cross. In John 19, 23, they say, truly, this man was the Son of God. They look at his fire. They look at him across. They say, this is the Son of God. Jesus defeats death with its own weapon. And this is the moment that, like in Daniel, he stands before the Ancient of Days. He gets the keys out of hell. Gets everything. And God says, Until you now, every tribe, every time, will confess that Jesus is Lord. Everything from the beginning of the Bible, everything up to this point, it all points to this. Point one. It all points to Jesus. Guys, I really just want to stress every detail of your life points to Jesus. There's a reason God is called the author of life. He penned this whole thing. 
he's using foreshadow and these hidden motifs and these, these hidden reoccurring themes and he's he's using them over and over and over again the question is what is it in your life in your story i promise you every part of your story points to jesus we might just be waiting to see how the author unfolds it and writes it out what's amazing is we know the ending it's the sobering moment but we know the ending that like david he wins. We know the story, right? And we, we build our whole lives on this. And what's amazing is, check this out, guys. In Revelations, this is the ending of the book now. We've gone from Genesis. We're in Revelations. It hasn't been an hour yet, so we're good. It's possible. We did yeah. it, right? In Revelations 4, 6, Jesus is sitting on the throne that he so earned, <laughs> okay, right? And in verse six, it says, before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion. The second creature was like an ox. The third creature had the face of a man. The fourth creature was like an eagle in flight. And all four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around them. Uh, they looked and it says day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It's the same thing again. The lion. He's a lion with a billion eyes and he just looks at Jesus and he says, I see the lion. I see the king. I see the banner that was in the wilderness. I see the king. I see Jesus. And then he cries, holy is this king. And then you have the ox, the servant, the one. He's the face of the ox, the servant. And he looks with all these creepy eyes. And he looks and he points them all at Jesus. And he's like, I see the servant. He's a servant of servants. He washes our feet. He's been there since the beginning serving us. And he cries, holy is this servant. Holy is he. And then you have the man who looks at him and is like, how could God be a man? I have a million eyes and I can't see it. I can't see how it's possible. And he looks and he says, from the beginning, from the middle to the end, you're on the throne. You're a man. How is this possible? Holy are you. Holy. And then you have the eagle who looks and he's like, I got all these eyes and I can't figure it out. Like this, this man, God, he's a God. He's God himself. How did God do this? God, your plan from the beginning. It's holy. There's a reason they all fall on their face. Right? They have like all oh, my eagle face and my ox face. Like I just fall on the ground. Because the servant, this God, this man, this king, it all points to Jesus. This is who he is. Jesus. When I look at Jesus, everything else fades away. All my issues all my problems, all my insecurities, all my fear, all my pain, all my, all of it. I look to him and I'm like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty was and is and is to come. The Bible that was in the past. This, the Bible 66 books written over thousands of years and somehow it all points to Jesus. To the one who was the one who is, and the one who is to come. It's all for Jesus to receive glory. Every part of my life is for Jesus. My finances are for Jesus. My relationships are for Jesus. My, my job is for Jesus. My school is for Jesus. It's all for Jesus. This is who he is, Jesus. I give it all. Like, he's not just a crutch that helps me around on life. He's like a full-on, like, bed I lay on, like, with life support to keep me alive. Like, like, everything is for him. Everything is through him. Everything is because of him. Every detail of my life, none of it is wasted. All of it, I promise you, somehow points to Jesus. Jesus, I am convinced any little anything, you pick anything, you can find a way to, to point it to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. Would we be a people that we spend more time looking at Jesus than looking in ourselves? This is how you get over depression. If I'm so, and I know I was suicidal, 
And what changed my life is I stopped looking at how much I hate myself. And I started looking at how much I love Jesus. And how could I, how could I hate something that he loves? And I started to love myself. Because I looked at him and he loved me. And so I started to love me. This is how you forgive the most unforgivable people. Because I looked at Jesus. And I asked for his heart for them. And I said, how could I not forgive somebody who died for them? This is how you get over poverty. And you're like, God, I'm, I'm poor all the time. I'm poor, God. <laughs> right? You look to Jesus and you're like, wait a second. You hold it all in your hands. I'm the richest person in the world because my boss doesn't pay me. You do. You take care of me. You're Jesus. Every issue is solved by Jesus. Everything is solved. This is who he is. I am happiest when I stop focusing on just my crap <laughs> and I focus on Jesus. That's when I'm like, this is what I was made for. Would we be a people, would the Crux family, would we be a family that not just focus on who we are, but we focus on who he is? Would we be people that focus not on everything that we're not, but on everything that he is? Would all my weaknesses point to him? All my strengths point to him? All my trials point to him? All my harvests point to him? Would everything that I have and all that I am be for Jesus? You become like what you focus on. If you only focus on your junk, you'll become junk. But if you focus on Jesus, this is who you Thank you for listening to the Crux Podcast Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit summitsandmarcos.com for other exciting content from Summit. You pour out your spirit in the midst of a trying thirsty land. You give up your mercy.